Welcome to the Learning Experience Show brought to you by eLearning Brothers. I'm your host, John Toda, and this episode is an editor's cut, where we trim the full-length webinar down to just the main topics and most important takeaways. That way you get most of the webinar value in just about 15 minutes, and you can listen on the go. You can always check out the rundown summary on this webinar session as well, and the episode notes will always link you right to the full video webinar on YouTube. All right, let's get into it. Uh, I've actually been in the training and development field since 98 and have over 20 years actually in the distance learning field. It has been amazing to see the changes in the development and really how it has evolved. Has learning developers Obviously, we work very hard to develop interesting, educating, and hopefully very engaging courses. And since we work so hard at developing our content, our goal should be to enhance the quality of learning and meet the learning style of as many people as possible. Now, learning styles, when we say that term, most often people think of that as visual, auditory, and aesthetic, or physical, and those are very important. But I wanna challenge all of us that we need to think about so much more. If we are to ensure knowledge is delivered clearly, concisely to and for everyone, we need to develop our courses to meet the needs of all of our learners by ensuring that our courses are accessible by people with limitations or disabilities. And again, you work hard on your e-learning content, don't you want as many people as possible to actually learn from it? So today, we're gonna to talk about understanding inclusivity and accessibility why it matters, why is it important. We're going to talk, show some examples. We're going to look at some tools and checklists. When we think about this, though, the surge in popularity of these terms, inclusive and accessibility, recently really seems to have resulted in a blurring of the boundaries and confusion around really what each of them means. And I often see these terms used interchangeably in a fielded questions from clients and other designers alike about whether or not they are, in fact, the same thing. So when we think about inclusivity and accessibility, at its simplest, inclusivity is a practice or policy of including people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized, such as those who have physical or mental disabilities, members of minority groups. It requires a greater understanding and empathy and asks that you put yourself in someone else's shoes. So inclusive design isn't concerned with logistics of whether everyone can use it, but whether everybody wants to use it and ultimately whether they feel safe in using it, while accessible design ensures that everyone can hear, read, and or see your message. Basically, they can take your course. The first thing we all have to realize is that every learner is different, whether they are different ages, races, or genders, whether they have specific content accessibility needs, pre-existing knowledge about your training content, or no experience at all. Every learner comes to your training with a different background and with different expectations. Now, hopefully, we all agree that every learner deserves an opportunity to have access to knowledge. That's, again, why we're here. And it's up to all of us, whether we're in HR, training and development, e-learning professionals, whatever it may be, to know how to effectively deliver that content. Technology, love it. It's really good. And it brings the world together in many ways and enables content delivery on a broad scale but there's still some challenges to creating inclusive and accessible content. They're so important that studies actually show that you'll have more sales, increase awareness of your brand, you'll have uh, 
retention of skilled employees. It also lowers the recruitment cost because you've got lower turnover. You attract new employees, improve staff morale, greater engagement, all these things that we want within our companies. Now, I'm probably in a bit of a silo as I create a lot of accessibility courses and, and try to be as active as I can in the accessibility world. But from an e-learning software trainer, we are seeing more developers wanting to learn how to develop for accessibility and an increased awareness and interest in things like our Lectora Accessibility User Group, which we'll talk about again at the end of the session and the Lectora Accessibility Training Courses. Now, diversity in the workplace actually was a much debated topic as far back as World War II. It was around this time that many women entered the employment to cover the major workforce shortages due to men carrying out their military services. Now, note a lot of the following decades saw women opportunities for employment severely curtail. In 48, Truman signed an executive order which was the first legal move to desegregate the U.S. Army, which until that point had actually been, for the most part, segregated based on ethnicity. But now here we are, 74 years later, and while diversity and inclusion of people with disabilities and people that are just different uh, than us possibly in the workplace has come on in leaps and bounds, we all know the work isn't done yet. According to Forbes magazine, job postings for a chief diversity officer, referred to as the CDO, has risen 35% in the last two years with many businesses publishing a diversity report. So diversity is a key aspect of that recruitment and talent acquisition it needs to continue on in the training world and not just that once a year diversity training, it needs to be included in all of our training and how we develop. In the United States, approximately 20% of Americans have at least one disability. And I think that number is going to increase completely because I would have, I've never really thought I am dyslexic. So I had some special ed classes when I was younger, great tutors, and I've worn glasses all my life. I've never considered that a disability until some recent stuff. And it's like, I guess I do identify that way. And that's something to be aware of. So I think we're going to see that number increase. Many adults may start to have problems seeing uh, clearly at close distances, especially when reading and working on a computer. And again, I think those numbers are also going to increase because we've got kids starting to look at electronics and stuff a lot younger. So they're not hearing what don't sit so close to the TV like we did when we were kids. Step away from the computer. This is a very common problem that adults develop between the ages of 41 and 60, and this normal change in the eyes focusing will continue to progress over time. So when we think about accessibility, what is it that we're meaning? Accessibility concerns the structures really in that container that holds your information. It's the channels that carry your training courses and the way your information is actually formatted and presented. We see on here, it's WCAG, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or WCAG. This is developed by the World Wide Web Consortium, uh, or W3C. They develop the web standards such as HTML, CSS, and they develop our Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or WCAG, which are the global set of guidelines followed around the world. These WCAG documents explain how to make web content more accessible to people with these disabilities. Now, some people wonder, I'm not developing web stuff, I'm developing training. Well, within training and development, section 508 is the actual set of the 50 guidelines we reference based upon WCAG. 
So I would encourage everyone, if you haven't read the latest WCAG guidelines, uh, to go through and read. I've got those links here. You'll see those links also in the books that we are sharing. And if you haven't already, they provide a really solid foundational understanding of a lot of the key concepts behind designing with accessibility in mind. The other thing you need to do is know your audience. Accessibility is based on a set of guidelines, but each individual organization must determine which level they need to comply with. To do this, an audience analysis needs to be performed to understand who your accessible learners are and what specific requirements they have. Even when my clients say they don't need accessibility, I pretty much do level A. And we can see on here, I've got A, AA, and AAA. And has a best practice, A is the lowest. It sets the minimum level of accessibility, primarily for visual and hearing limitations, and does not achieve really broad accessibility for many situations. If your course meets level A, the majority of users will be able to use the course. When you conform to the higher level, so let's say double A, that also means that you're meeting the lower A, which is mid-range. And by conforming to double A, a course meets obviously A and double and A standards. Triple A is the highest. According to W3Org website, it really is not recommended that AAA conformance be required as a general policy for entire sites because it's not possible to satisfy all level AAA success criteria for some content. So again, that, that you really need to get to know your audience. Okay. Then we need to think about what are we talking about here? Well, we've addressed this a little bit. We're talking about visual, which would include blindness, low vision, colorblindness, glaucoma, farsightedness, nearsightedness, and astigmatism, or some of us that have all of that, depending on which eyeball it's in. It also includes hearing, not just deafness, but hard of hearing and hearing loss. Our motor, which references those physical impairments, has e-learning developers, we are concerned with dexterity issues, especially with this, the mouse, the keyboard. This could be things that could be loss or damage of limbs, arthritis, paralysis, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, cerebral palsy, and so forth. And then our cognitive, which takes us to, which takes us to those learning difficulties. It could include things like Down syndrome, in addition to neurodiverse conditions such as dyslexia, uh, ADHD, mental health like anxiety, attention deficit, vision, all of those things are included. So now that you have a little bit more knowledge about accessibility, okay, I've hopefully really broadened that for you, when you think about what accessibility means within your company, we need to think about not only age-related, but also situational or temporary impairments, such as an accident with a broken arm or hearing or vision loss. But what happens when your best IT specialist breaks their right arm and they're right-handed? Or has a weakened warrior, they sprain their wrist. What do you do? Previously, you'd send them to training, but now training is all online. They can sit in front of the thing, but they can't use their mouse. So are your courses, are they developed to where they are keyboard accessible and they can tap through them, okay? Do you have that in mind? Or maybe you work for a place that nobody ever gets hurt. Yeah, uh, we probably don't. So it's a lot to think about and really something we all should consider. Uh -oh. But POOR is an acronym 
for four high-level principles that describe this functional accessibility. In addition to websites, most other information technology can be made accessible by applying the poor. And basically, when the upgrades back in 2008 were upgrade, when the guidelines were upgraded to version 2.1, they grouped the initial 14 guidelines into these four principles. The first one is perceivable. This means that the user must be able to take in the content in one way or another. It cannot be invisible to all senses. So let's say you have some text and there are important words highlighted in a different color, but the learner can't distinguish between the colors. The learner would actually be missing critical information, thus your content isn't perceivable. Or maybe there's an image that the student can't see and there isn't any text or alt text, which we'll talk about, giving a description for the assistive technology, often a screen reader, to read. Now, this could also be things like the buttons are large enough to get their cursor on if using a mouse, or the content maybe shouldn't move too fast uh, with a method maybe to control that pace, whether it be navigating to another page or completing the interactivity, the interface cannot require an interaction that the user just can't do. The learner knows that by selecting a certain icon or button, that specific result will occur. And last but not least, robust. This means as technology and devices evolve as it will, content should remain available to the users. Now, the first three principles, the POU, those focus on the end user, and the last one focuses on the technology that delivers the content to the end user. Now, when we think of inclusivity, again, practice or policy, I've read over that, but to use a physical analogy, let's imagine a very old, very traditional members-only gentlemen's club with a grand old clubhouse that is hundreds of years old, okay? Now let's say that club decided it was time to modernize in order to meet the new accessibility requirements. And they took the time to fit wheelchair ramps, handrails, an elevator, hearing aid induction loops. After all of those alterations, the clubhouse would definitely be much more accessible. But as a very traditional club that doesn't allow female members and has a very substantial joining fee, could the club ever really be considered an inclusive space? No. So when we think about inclusivity, while accessible design is concerned that everyone can again hear, see, read, see your message, inclusive design asks you to consider the message itself. This requires a greater level of understanding and empathy, as I said before, and it is content that is truly created for everyone. Okay. Does everyone want to use it? It's not that they can, but whether they want to, and ultimately, whether they feel safe using it. When we think about inclusivity, it lives or dies based on the information itself and on your audience and empathy with your audience. So what are you trying to say? Are you speaking from a position of privilege? What points are you trying to make? Is your perspective clouded by bias, unconscious or otherwise? And I, we all have biases. Again, our brain, uh, the way it works, we process things and we make shortcuts. So just realize we all have them. And as soon as we acknowledge them, we can learn to work around them and to make sure we're not including our biases. How will your message make people feel? Make sure I'm on the right one there. Could your message or design be viewed as discriminatory or offensive? 
is your view based solely on your own experiences? And does it exclude certain demographics or people? Okay. Inclusive design concepts need to be thoughtfully included from the ground up. Diversity and inclusion needs to be on the top of your mind when creating, developing, and delivering learning. And I think that's why, I don't want to say it comes easy to me, but some of this stuff was just taught for so long in, in my journalism courses. Because inclusive design, though, isn't a design practice, but a philosophy of designing for one and extending it to many. The other thing we need to keep in mind is by 2050, a majority of the workforce will be, and this comes from the Department of Labor, considered minorities. Being inclusive is the right thing to do so that your workforce accurately reflects the community by large. And by casting that wider net and hiring diversely, you increase your company's collective creativity and innovative capability. Uh, when diversity and inclusion create an atmosphere of creativity and acceptance, it improves retention rates overall. When it comes to designing for inclusivity and diversity, my first and most important, again, point is that I'm a white cis female designer in an industry already dominated by white cis designers. If you fit that description, then the advice I want to offer you is to get comfortable being uncomfortable. As Verna Myers, a diversity and inclusion advocate, says in her TED Talk, if you want to overcome your biases, you must walk boldly towards them. Confront them. Actively seek out conversations and situations that put you outside of your comfort zone. Listen to read and follow authors and designers that are radically different from you in all kinds of ways. It'll be a huge help in inspiring you to do your best for all. The second quote that she has is, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is actually being asked to dance. And how many times have we probably all been to the party and not asked to dance? Talk to your clients about bias and diversity. Inclusion and diversity must be considered from the beginning of any e-learning project. Simply revising images and media is not enough. We need to actively examine the ways we promote diversity within our training, marketing, materials, and businesses. All right, Chris, that was an amazing <laughs> wrap-up. Speed talking for sure. <laughs> And that wraps up our editor's cut of this webinar session. Remember, if you liked what you heard here, you can just go to the episode notes below and click through to the full-length video recording of this webinar session on our YouTube page. And until our next episode, keep on rocking your learning.